Our Father, you are great this morning, and your presence is with us, and we thank you for being with us today. Help us now, Lord, to hear the challenge from your word, to always anticipate your presence with us when we gather to worship. Lord, thank you for the words that we have heard that have encouraged us in our worship in recent days. And Lord, may we continually apply those to our lives so that we may encounter you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture provides us with many promises about worship. Earlier in the week, I started listing those out, and there were promises like Matthew 18, verse 20, that says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. John 12, 32, that says, But I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Those scriptures are ones that we often quote in worship. We quote them in our prayers, and we talk about them being promises of worship. And as I began working on this message, and really as I began working on this series, my original plan was to list many biblical promises and then to comment about those in this message, things that we could expect in worship. But as I looked at many of the promises of worship, the Lord showed me that perhaps the title was incorrect. It didn't need to be the promises of worship as much as it needed to be the promise of worship. And that promise is this, that God will be with us in worship. The scriptures that we looked at all talk about that. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. It's God's presence. But when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. It's God's presence. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's God's presence with us. And that is not only the greatest of all promises of worship, but I think it's also the foundation of all promises of worship. Psalm 22, verse 3 is often quoted in the King James Version, and it says, But you are holy, O you who inhabit the praises of Israel. And we'll often say, Lord, inhabit the praises of your people today. Or you'll hear someone says, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And that's true, that as we praise him and as we worship him, the Lord abides with us. The New International Version translates that verse a little bit differently. It says, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And there you see beyond just God inhabiting the praises of his people, but he becomes the praises of his people. What a powerful picture that is. And what an amazing promise it is and a foundational promise for us if we hope to experience God in worship. God has promised to be present in our worship. But what kind of presence do we expect? Jack Hayford helps us in his book, Manifest Presence. In that book, Hayford delineates three different types of uh, representative presence of God. He talks about God's awesome presence, his abiding presence, and his amazing presence. These three dimensions of God's presence are not exhaustive, and Jack Hayford would not say they are, but they are representative of how God relates to us. 
God's awesome presence is what's often described as his omnipresence. That God is always everywhere. He is always with us. David caught that idea when he wrote in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heights of heaven, you are there. If I make my bed down in the center of the earth, you are there as well. There is nowhere that I can get away from your presence. God is everywhere at all times, no matter our relationship with him. Whether we have Christ in our lives or not, God is always with us. God is around us all the time when we walk as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. His spirit is with us. His presence is with us. But even unbelievers who are doing the things that God does not want them to do, he is around them as well. For he is always present. That is his awesome presence. There's also his abiding presence. That's evidenced by God's loving, his understanding, his warmth, his intimate fellowship and relationship with those who call him their Lord. That's the thing that we get to encounter as believers, his abiding presence with us. Hebrews 13, 5, where the writer of Hebrews is repeating that promise of God where it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will be with you always. I will not leave you orphan. I will always be with you. You are my people. I will abide with you. And then, of course, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, when Jesus is giving the Great Commission, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. I will abide with you. We could look at John and the, the great picture of the vine and the branches. If one remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The picture of abiding is so important and God's presence is an abiding, a lasting and enduring help in time of need and in great times of victory. He promises to be with the one who loves him. We also see, though, God's amazing presence. Sometimes this is called God's manifest presence. It is God's response to his followers as they call out to him and say, Lord, be with us in worship today. Show yourself here. Oh, the glory of your presence. We, your people, give your reverence. Come and rise from your rest and be blessed by your praise as we glory in your embrace. As your presence now fills this place. He's always here. He's abiding with us. But there is a unique sense of his manifest presence that can also come. In Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, in the early church, the church was experiencing persecution and criticism. And they come before God and they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the scripture says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they all began to speak the word with boldness. They were not afraid. They could speak the word boldness because the presence of God was manifest with them. God's amazing presence settled on the people in the power of the Holy Spirit and enabled them to do the work of the church. Now, what kind of presence do we expect with us when we gather together on Sundays? Well, I would hope that it's all three of these ideas of God's presence. 
Certainly his awesome presence is always around us. Certainly his abiding presence is with those of us who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And certainly I hope that when we come together we pray for his manifest presence, his amazing presence to come in and work among us. God wants to be present in worship and God promises to be present in worship. We can enter worship confident of the fact that God will be present with us. When we drive onto this campus on Sunday mornings and we walk into this place, we should expect to see God. We should expect God to be present among us. And here's where it gets good. This promise for God to be with us in worship actually has many benefits for us as worshipers. To illustrate these benefits, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 68. Psalm 68. And I hope you have your Bibles and can turn there. Psalm 68. Excuse my voice this morning. I've been dealing with this since Sunday afternoon and don't know what it is. I've had all kind of drugs and everything this week and tried every home remedy people have suggested. But so far it's just like this. I hope it's not too distracting. Psalm 68. Psalm 68 was possibly the psalm sung as David moved the ark from the house of Obed-Edom up to Jerusalem, the new capital. It was going to be the new spiritual capital, the new uh, political capital of the city of, of the nation of Israel. He had captured Jerusalem. He had moved the tabernacle there. And now they're bringing the ark up to that place. And listen to all that is occurring as I read from verses 24 and following. And picture what is happening as the uh, Ark of the Covenant is brought up to the tabernacle to enter into the house of God where it will be the center of worship. We'll begin reading in Psalm 68, verse 24. Your procession has come into view, O God, the procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians, and with them are the maidens playing tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There the great throng of Judah's princes. And there the princes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled may it bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. To him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with mighty voice, proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. As you picture that. I'd like to draw a number of benefits for us that we can expect as we come into the presence of God. Because God promises to be with us, we can look for his arrival. 
You notice in the first part of that little reading, Psalm 20, verses 24 and 25, notice the anticipation and the expectation that is there. The psalmist sees the procession off in the distance, and then it's coming to view. Your procession is coming to view. The procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. It's like he's at a parade, and he's looking for it, and he sees it coming into view, and he's excited about it. And he has anticipation. It's that cry of the king is coming. The king is coming. I can almost hear his trumpet for the king is coming. And as the procession comes closer and closer, he gets more and more excited and about what will occur when the Lord arrives. Our attitude should be much like that when we come and worship. We should be looking. We should be anticipating. We should be expecting the Lord's arrival. As we prepare for worship each week, we should be looking for the Lord. Even as we get dressed on Sunday mornings, we should be looking for what the Lord is going to do through us in the next couple of hours as we come to this place. As we encounter God's word in Bible study, as we come together for corporate worship. We should be saying, Lord, do something great in me today. I'm expecting you to speak in a special way to me today. Each Sunday. We call ourselves to worship and we pray an invocation. That's a prayer that's a prayer of expecting God to be here. We invoke his name. We welcome him into this place and we say, Lord, speak to us. Thank you for being in this room. Now, Lord, do what you want to do among us. We we do not come to church wondering if God will show up. We don't even come to church hoping God will show up. We come to church knowing that God will show up. It's a promise that we have. We come looking for his procession. Now, how do we look for his arrival? Well, very simply, I think we pray. We adjust ourselves to be in tune with him. And I want to give you three specific things to pray for. First... Claim his promise to be with us in worship. Lord, we look forward to being with you, being with us today. Lord, we look forward to being with you today. Claim his promise to be with us. Eliminate distractions. One of the final messages in this series will be called distractions to worship. Because there are a lot of distractions that are about. And there are satanic distractions and there are equipment distractions and there are people distractions and there are voice distractions. There are all kind of distractions that come into worship. But say, Lord, eliminate distractions. Lord, don't let the enemy to move. This is your house. Don't allow the enemy room here. He would love to us for us to be distracted, but help us to be focused on you today. And then focus on God. When we first began this series, we talked about worship being a communication with God in which believers center their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord. It's a centered focus where there is no other distraction. There's nobody else in our mind's eye but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Focus on God. And that will help us to be able to look for his arrival. And when we look for his arrival, we can enter this place expecting something to happen. And then we can see a second benefit. Second, because God promises to be with us, we should encourage all those around us to praise him in the sanctuary. Once the psalmist sees the procession, notice something that he does. 
You can almost see the psalmist standing at the edge of the, the, the parade route, if you will. And he's leaning over and he's looking and he sees the ark coming and he's getting excited. And then he starts to turn to everybody else and he says, look, there it is. You see what's coming? Do you see the different instruments? There's the tribe of Benjamin. There's this group. There's the dancers. There's that. And he's pointing out to them what they need to look for. We do that at parades, don't we? The Pineville Christmas Parade was the first parade Rebecca and I got to take Zach to. Zach was one year old, and we were out in front of the church here. And we said, look, Zach, here come the motorcycles. And they're coming. Look, Zach, here, you know, he could care less, really. But look, Zach, here it comes. We were excited because we wanted him to experience the wonder of the parade. That's how we should be when we come to worship. We should not only look for God's arrival, but we should encourage everyone around us to praise him. What would be wrong with coming into worship and greeting your neighbor in worship and saying something like, you know, I can't wait to see what God's going to do today. I've been praying all week for this service, and I I got the preparing for Sunday email this week, and and I've been praying for this message, and I've been praying for the, the music. I can't wait to sing Majesty this morning. That's one of my favorite songs. I hope you're excited about worship today. That's a way of encouraging those around you to praise. Now you say, now that, I might feel kind of weird doing that. Well, why? It's not any different than what we do at other times. I bet if you went to an athletic sporting event, you'd say, hmm, 24 of the opponents, number 24 is kind of tough, you know. Yeah, but you know, I've been watching our defense, and I think we've been coming into our own in the last few weeks, and, and I think we got this game. I think if our defense can come together, we're going to shut number 24 down, and we've got it. Isn't that expectation? Isn't that in- inviting others to praise? You're saying, look, the home team's going to win today. And we're expecting that, and I want you to be a part of that. Don't be all defeatist in your attitude that number 24 for the opponent's good. we got a good defense. We're going forward. We're going to win this game. That's encouraging. We're anticipating victory. We're anticipating something good. Because God promises to be with us in worship, we should encourage those around us to do the same. Because God promises to be with us, we should ask God to do what only he can do, thirdly. The psalmist has been watching this parade coming. He's called everyone around him to praise the Lord. And then now he addresses the Lord in verses 28 through 33. The ark, of course, symbolizing God's presence. It says, summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled may it bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with a mighty voice. The psalmist asks God to show his power. The ark is now coming into the tabernacle, into its new home, into the holy city of Jerusalem, that political and spiritual center of the nation. And David, the psalmist, is saying, the king is saying, Lord, we want you to show your power here like you've done before. God, show the same power here in Jerusalem as you did when the ark was stolen by the Philistines and their God, Dagon, fell 
flat on his face before you. Lord, show your power among us as you did Moses and the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness and they took the ark with them. Lord, we want to see your power. We want you to be at work as only you can do. Lord, do the things in our city. Do the things in our nation that only you can do. We should come each week expecting God to do what only he could do. You know, this sacred hour should be unlike any other hour in the week. Because only at this particular time do all of God's people come together expecting God to do something. And only when we're all together does God say, I'm going to do something with you. And there's going to be some great things happen. You know, all throughout the week, we do all kind of things, but only in this time. Because God promised to do some things that only he could do. I was so encouraged week before last to receive an email that one of our elder churchmen and deacons, Gene Ferris, sent out to his class. Listen to what Gene wrote the men in his Sunday school class. He said, as we continue our study of the exciting days of the beginning of our Christian faith, reread Acts 6 verse 7, which says, And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Gene says, it can't get more exciting than that. Do you get a rush when the invitation is given to the congregation, when the pastor invites persons who have made decisions to come forward and make known their professions of faith, their resolutions to begin a closer walk with the Lord, and elect to act out that resolution with us as members of the body of Christ? I am always deeply moved. I'm sure that each of you is moved. Can you imagine what must have been going on, the hearts and minds of those early believers, as the great host of the people were making known their decisions to follow our Lord? The very air must have been electric with anticipation and thanksgiving. Dare I ask what I can do to help recreate that scene in FBC? Dare you ask what you can do? Boy, what a great word. For us as the people of God. That's the attitude we should have. That we expect God to do things. And have that anticipation. That he's going to do only those things that he can do. That's the kind of attitude the church at Acts had. And they thought nothing of 3,000 people. Coming to faith in the Lord. They thought nothing of every day. People coming to faith. And people being added to the church. We should come together expecting something to happen. Even as I was writing this, I was thinking, Lord, what a cool thing it would be when you do that. What a cool thing it would be when all of us who come together for worship on Sundays had that kind of anticipation and you could respond to it. Oh, what wonderful things would take place in our church if we had that kind of anticipation. Truly, it's the things that only God can do that we long to see happen. When we come together in worship, we pray for God to transform lives. Only God can transform lives in worship. We pray for marriages to be healed and only God can heal marriages in God. We we pray for the the broken to be uh, fixed and, and put back together and only God can do that in worship. We we pray for the trapped to be set free and only God can set us free. We pray for these things that only God can do. Then we should come to worship expecting God to do only what he can do. When we come together, we do that. We work all week doing the things that we can do. Teaching, building, buying, 
selling, designing, calculating, treating, administering, administrating, serving, fixing. We do all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff we can do. But when we come to worship, we say, God, we need to do you to do what only you can do. Lord, we can counsel, but only you can transform. God, Pastor Stewart can preach, but only you can take the word and transform a heart and life. Lord, we can worship you, but only through our worship can you take a lost person and point them to Jesus. We need you to do what only you can do. But because God is with us, we should ask God to do that and expect him to. Because God is with us, also we should be empowered and strengthened every time we come together. The psalmist has called for the power of God. He's called for God to do what only God can do. And in so doing, he reminds everyone around him that when this power is proclaimed, the people will be strengthened. He says in verse 34 through 35, proclaim the power of God whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Oh, church, when we come together and we meet God, we should be empowered and strengthened like we never are the rest of the week. We should leave this place having been revived each Sunday, whether it's called revival or not. We should come and leave this place closer to the Lord than we were than when we entered. We should leave this place encouraged in the faith and ready to take on the world in the coming week. We should leave this place singing praises to God after having encountered his presence in a wonderful way. Worship should do something in us that no other time during the week does. I wonder... If we might read verse 35 together and celebrate this great promise of anticipating what God can do and encouraging us. We're going to have it on the screen. Psalm 35, read it together. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Isn't that powerful? He is awesome. In his sanctuary. Here's the cool thing. We talk about coming into this sanctuary to worship. And that is one sanctuary that we have now to worship. But the other sanctuary is your life. You see, we don't have to go to Jerusalem to the temple and to the Holy of Holies. But God has made our lives the temple. And so you could really say that scripture for yourself. God, not only be awesome in this sanctuary, this house of brick and mortar, but Lord, be awesome in this sanctuary of my life. When we come into God's presence, he promises to do wonderful things. And when we come to worship with the purpose of worshiping him, he promises to be there with us. We don't have to wonder. We come expecting. It is a guaranteed promise. There was a pastor who visited an old man in his congregation who was homebound. And the man was also suffering from a, a nerve, nerve and joint disease that caused him to not be able to get around much. But the man had on his lap open the Bible. And he was able to just slowly leaf through the pages. And as the pastor visited, he noticed that on the pages of the Bible, beside various promises of God... 
the man had written in his own handwriting, proved. Over and over again through that Bible, he could see proved, proved, proved. Through that man's life and all of his experiences with the God, with God, the man had read a promise. And then when he saw it lived out in his life, he wrote proved. I wonder if you would take God at his word and the promises to be with us in worship and that every Sunday you'd be able to walk home and write proved. Every time you had your quiet time and your own personal time of worship, you could write proved that where I am purposefully worshiping God, there he's going to be with me. May we pray together. Lord, we know that you are here because you promised to be here. As Beth Ingalls helped us do already this morning in thinking about who you are and and the wonder of your majesty, God, we, we again think of how awesome you are. That awesome presence that's always with us, that abiding presence that that truly dwells within the believer. And God, that amazing presence that comes when we ask. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's here today. We glorify you, O God. During this time of response and invitation, we pray that we would be centered on you. And that we would listen to what you are saying for us to do. Lord, there are some in this room who will make decisions public for receiving you as their Lord and Savior. There are some who will come to unite with this church. There are others who will come and kneel at this altar. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to step out as you continue to call us forward. May we do your will today in your presence, we pray. Amen.